0: morning, it's Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, let's hit the horns and go! Coming up on the show today, 2024 is going to be a... What's to come in the wider world of politics... Especially American politics. You might get dragged into that fray a little bit this year. Then you'll get a closer look into disability and politics. Megan Gilmore of Canadian Affairs considers the biggest accessibility issues affecting Canadians this year. And for some lighter fare, the Consumer Technology is hosting CES in Las Vegas next week. Marco Flallo will set the Able. I want to extend some uh, thanks and gratitude to everybody on the show here. Uh, we had some technical difficulties yesterday and some staffing troubles. Couldn't get the show to air, but everybody's uh, playing some musical chairs today and wearing some hats. So thank you for your patience out there in listener land and the viewer vortex. And thanks to everybody on the team for stepping up in a big way. Let's get to the top story of the day. Deloitte has released its forecast for the Canadian economy. Economy in 2024. Michelle Zadikian shares some of the predictions.
1: The firm's Economic Outlook report predicts stagnant growth during the first half of the year as higher interest rates continue to work their way through the system. Deloitte says inflation is still uncomfortably high at 3.1% as of November, but it's likely that interest rates are at their peak. However, Deloitte Canada Chief Economist Don Desjardins says we should not expect rates to return to their pre-pandemic lows. Desjardins says there's momentum in the economy and the job market is set to improve in the second half of. 2024. Michelle Zedekian, the Canadian Press.
0: Some more news from the world of economics and interest rates. The U.S. Federal Reserve has released its minutes from its December meeting. Lisa Dwyer takes a closer
2: look. The Federal Reserve's policymakers concluded last month that inflationary pressures were easing and that the job market was cooling. In response, they chose to leave their key interest rate unchanged for the third straight time and signaled that they expect to cut rates three times in 2024. According to the minutes of their December meeting, Fed officials indicated in their own interest rate forecasts that a lower benchmark rate would be appropriate by the end of 2024, given the steady progress towards taming inflation. But they stressed that they should remain vigilant and keep rates high until inflation was clearly moving down sustainably towards their 2% target. I'm Lisa Dwyer. And
3: switching
0: over to renewable energy, Federal Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne feels that Canada is running low on renewable supply.
4: We need to be able to generate more renewable energy in the country. We have seen a number of projects where we have to see where they can go in the country because some jurisdictions are getting strained with respect to the capacity of energy generation.
0: The federal government estimates Canada needs two to three times more renewable power by 2050 to complete its transition to a fully electrified economy. And looking abroad, healthcare workers are striking in England. Charles de la Desma has the story.
5: NHS managers say tens of thousands of scheduled appointments and operations will be cancelled during the walkout overpay by junior doctors who form the backbone of hospital and clinic care in the country.
0: Senior doctors and other medics have had to be drafted in to cover for emergency services,
6: critical care and maternity services. NHS linked official Julian Hartley says the strike has come at a tough time immediately after the Christmas and
0: New
5: Year period with its precious and demands, and of course he says we've got flu, we've got COVID.
6: Charles de la Desma, London.
0: Of course that story coming to you from abroad, but don't Take your eye off the healthcare ball in Canada. Emergency departments in Quebec experienced significant strain throughout the month of December and still continue to operate at over 100% capacity. So the healthcare story is not simply an abroad story, it's one that matters in Canada as well, including a new survey that was put out by a union representing Ontario healthcare workers. of healthcare workers in Ontario expressing deep dissatisfaction with their job, quote, dreading coming to work every day. And that story will be part of the weekly news panel tomorrow with Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. Let's get to the daily polls and maybe have a little bit of fun, because uh, the first hour of the show is going to be serious. That's okay. You have to have your vegetables sometimes in the morning. But let's see if we can have a little bit of fun on the front end, starting with the results from Tuesday's poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Would you ever plunge yourself in freezing water? Of course, that's in relation to the polar dips that uh, took place on New Year's Day. 42% of you said yes, 58% of you said no. Today's daily poll is going to relate to a topic that Jenny Bovard is bringing to the table later in the hour. Again, to try and put some fun into the mix here this morning. So the daily poll today is all about easy sandwiches. So here's the question. What's your favorite low cost, easy to make sandwich? Now please write in your favorite if it is not listed here. I've only got so many options and I was really trying to think simple and cheap in the options that I put together this morning. So peanut butter, cheese, cucumber or butter. Laura Bain, I will already go off my own board here and say the humble peanut butter and banana sandwich on whole wheat bread is somewhat healthy. It gets the job done. It fills you up. It takes less than two minutes to make. Peanut butter and banana is my go-to easy day-to-day sandwich.
2: And see, my problem is I always overcomplicate food because I'm just a little bit of a foodie. So when you say that right away, I'm thinking, ooh, Dave, have you ever tried a grilled peanut butter and banana sandwich? Because that (laughs) is delicious. Um, Well, I wanted to give an honorable mention to tuna fish, which isn't on the list, because I think that's a solid lunch, like especially if you have it alongside maybe some chips.
0: Laura, so I was going to write tuna sandwich but not to drag this conversation into inflation and grocery prices. Have you seen what a tin of tuna costs at the grocery store right now?
2: No, I haven't honestly. Cause I haven't, I haven't bought tuna in a little while. Okay. I <laughs> would say my, my favorite from that list, I, I'm going to go with grilled cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's, that's, always a winner. Now, you know, when I was a kid, that was a craft single slice and it was still good. But as I say, I tend to kind of make my food complicated. So now as an adult, of course, it's fresh grated cheese and maybe a little slice of apple in there, some Mm. hot pepper jelly if you have it. But if I'm forced (laughs) to just make it basic, it's still going to be delicious.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the low cost side of this question is important, right? Because the uh, freshly grated fancy Gruyere from the grocery store, that's going to run you a little bit too. We might have to go back to the craft single or the no-name slice of cheese that you can pick up at your uh, major retailer of choice. Alex, I feel like you and Laura probably have a commonality here. You're also a bit of a foodie. I'm almost dreading the amount of instructions that are going to go into your,
7: quote, easy sandwich. Now, now, Dave, have some (laughs) faith in me. I mean, yes, I love a complicated sandwich. Don't get me wrong. But I'll I'll stick to this list, and I think I'll, I'll side with cheese as well. Butter is a very high contender but for me i i'm kind of weird in the sense i don't want a butter sandwich i want a butter on a piece of bread if, if that makes sense yes I don't it know does make what sense what it is about it but it's like it needs to be open-faced one-sided smear butter on it and i'm happy you put it on two sides yeah it could be cheese in there instead you know it could be something else i don't know what the extra slice of bread does to me but it changes my mentality and view on what i really enjoy so yeah, you know, the simple craft uh, sliced cheese in between two pieces of bread, you know, butter, or maybe if you want to be fancy, mayo the outside uh, uh, pan fry, it, and you're good to go. I think that's the, the best, uh, in my opinion, like kind of the, the cheap, affordable sandwich to make. Peanut butter is great. Peanut butter is also very filling. I like something a little bit lighter with the
0: cheese. Alex, I love that you identify and acknowledge butter. I was wondering if either of you were going to fight with me about this, if this was going to be the new is a hot dog a sandwich conversation, where does just putting butter on two pieces of toast count as a sandwich? And probably not, but I put butter for a reason there because I cannot tell you how many times I've simply toasted some bread, put margarine on either slice of the bread and had that as a snack or sometimes even a meal. And again, that's from fridge to toaster to plate in sort of less than 90 seconds. And Laura, sometimes that's what I'm looking for, just basic fuel. I don't know, I've probably enraged some people even just saying margarine and butter in the same sentence, but I'm a margarine man, it's cheaper.
2: That was my feeling. I was like, oh, Dave, no, it has to be butter. I'm such (laughs) a butter girl. (laughs) And like, I will give you a butter sandwich if we're talking maybe some high quality butter here. Like when, you know, in France, the butter they have there, much more delicious than here. I would perhaps make that into a sandwich. But I'm kind of like Alex. I'm good with butter on toast. I'm good with, I love peanut butter toast, but yeah. Yeah add that second piece of bread and I don't know it kind of there's it changes the flavor somehow
0: Alex, it feels like Laura is channeling a conversation that you and I had after I came back from a wedding in Ontario farm country in October mm-hmm. where the butter was churned that day for the yeah. bread rolls at the wedding. And as I told you, I'm not typically someone who is a uh, egotistical or a <laughs> butter snob who says, oh, butter is the only way. But my goodness, like fresh butter, <laughs> high quality fresh butter, it almost made me rethink my entire margarine position.
7: Dave there's a reason why you say something is good or something is solid it's the bread and butter there's a reason for (laughs) it that's why because it's very hard to beat bread and butter now sandwich aside bread and butter great combination bread uh, a butter on a a nice dinner roll phenomenal accompaniment to any meal you Mm -hmm. can possibly have Mm -hmm. just you need something else in there if you're just going to have it on its own (laughs) i find snack great sandwich you need something a bit yeah. more. Yeah,
0: I'm curious who's going to swing in here on the top rope in the comment section on Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook or at Accessible Media on Twitter with the cucumber sandwich, sort of the finger high tea sandwich. I'm curious if someone's going to swing in on there because I know my friend Mila is a massive fan of cucumber sandwiches. So another reason why I put that one there. Cucumbers are uh, still one of the cheapest fresh veggies you can buy at the store. So again, a little bit of uh, a little bit of ideas here in terms of uh, maybe saving a buck or two after the uh, holiday. Hangover. Alex, Laura, thank you both for this. I want to hear from you out there in listener land and the viewer vortex at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. You can also chime in on other social media platforms. You can do at Accessible Media Inc on Instagram or at Accessible Media on TikTok. Then, of course, there's email. Get those fingertips flowing. Get in front of an actual keyboard and tap, tap, tap away. Tap, tap, tap a Feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca. Or maybe you want your voice to be heard from coast to coast to coast on AMI television or around the world on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. Give the show a call. 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break... 2024 is going to be a big news year, especially in the world of politics. Michelle McQuig and I look ahead to the U.S. presidential election. Goodness gracious. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. 2024 is going to be a big year in politics, especially south of the border. There's going to be a presidential election in November, and let's set the stage with Michelle McQuig. Michelle is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. And good morning, Michelle. Happy New Year.
8: Happy New Year, Dave. Happy New Year, everybody. I yes, all had a great vacation.
0: <laughs> Michelle, you're going to be one of the last people who gets to say Happy New Year on the show because after tomorrow I'm, more, true, I, yeah. I'm going to no, moratorium it.
8: I'm, I'm, I have the same. I always have a January 4th cutoff for like personal <laughs> Happy New Year readings.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to allow it till tomorrow. I'm going to allow it till tomorrow, one week of broadcast, and then as of next week, if somebody wishes me Happy New Year, I'm not even saying it back. I'm it's just going yeah, to blow right past them on the air and seem like a very rude <laughs> jerk.
8: Yeah, smooth, slick,
0: yeah. but yeah. Yeah. you, you do you. <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe my inner Ottawa will come out and I will just be overly polite. Uh, Michelle, let's uh, talk politics here. I think... This is a very interesting presidential election year. I I think just the notion of how the primaries for the Republican Party are going to play out, there's been a little bit of a surge and change in polling here going into the new year with uh, Nikki Haley at least presenting some challenge to the hypothesis that Donald Trump is going to run away with the Republican primary in the presidential election. So I'm going to be watching that certainly on the front end of the year, quite closely what do you find interesting heading into this presidential election year
8: that that is interesting that you're like I, I don't really see much of a viable challenge for donald trump i do i am operating on the premise that he is the the republican nominee going in here so you know, forgive me. If this is a little inside baseball, perhaps, but what I'm really interested to see is the difference in the coverage between now and 2016, when he was in the race last time, right, right, or even or even, or even 2020, right? Like we're now in the post January 6th era. There's been a lot more there. Um, there was a lot of media talk at the time about people being willing, willing to call Donald Trump out on when he was either just being inaccurate in the, in the course of things or outright lying. Um, a lot of these conversations have happened and and there's been a certain amount of reckoning within the industry on this, but it'll be really interesting to see now that the pretty much the exact same scenario is up again. Is it going to change? Is he going to have an easier ride on the campaign trail? He's had a very easy one so far, and that's not really the media's fault necessarily. The, the, the challenges haven't really materialized that people suspected, but I'll be interested to see not only how it's covered, but if people have the same appetite for for. the the brand of politics that he brings to the
0: table yeah michelle i've spent the last three years and and this is one of the stunning things when you really consider it that this saturday is going to mark the three-year anniversary of the domestic terrorism attack on the u.s capitol i I cannot believe it's been three years I, i don't know where time went and i spent the three years between then and now thinking about how i want to cover donald trump Because he was a U.S. president, and he's likely going to be a presidential nominee, and he has a very good chance of winning the election this year. So I've spent spent three years trying to figure out, in 2024, when this machine ramps up in earnest, and I have some obligation, as the host of a news and current affairs show, to talk about Donald Trump, how I'm going to do that. And I sit here on January the 4th of 2024, and I'm not— all the way convinced that I figured out a strategy yet in terms of separating drama <laughs> and optics versus substance.
8: Yeah, I think I think you're, the the conversations you're having internally are a microcosm of much much bigger ones happening across all newsrooms in the United States because that's a huge aspect. Of course, now there's also going to be the misinformation thread, which was was quite prominent in 2020, but it's going to be much bigger now given the social media landscape and where it stands, uh, you're, you're going to have foreign interference threads, too. Remember, those started surfacing even in, in 2016. Um, so there, yeah. there definitely is yeah. going to be a lot of substance to, on the table, but also a lot of things that could complicate the narrative, which is already populated by complicated people so it's not going to be an easy task yeah. for anybody
0: let alone how you navigate and handle what are going to be nearly 100 indictments that are going to play yep. out in some way shape or form during the course of the next 6 to 9 months how you maybe. Ha, ha, in some cases maybe you also yep. ha, you also have um the Colorado Supreme Court that said we're not allowing Donald Trump on the Republican primary ballot. now that yep. now, now Donald Trump is, has asked the, the federal the, it, the federal but, yeah. Supreme Court to try and overrule that is Supreme Court that he stacked during his presidency. So sure it, 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 so there's just all these threads, Michelle, that are going to make it almost impossible not to get sucked into some of the drama. So so just know, anytime this Donald Trump comes up this year—I'm saying this to you and to you, the devoted viewer out there—I'm going to do my best to figure out how to actually cover this in a meaningful way, whether it comes up in the news panel or just day-to-day coverage. It's It's not going to be an easy one.
8: No, it's not going to be an easy one. Uh, you talked about Colorado, I think it was, was it Michigan also that, that banned his name on the ballot? There's another state that's done it too. So yeah, th- that's a whole complicated backdrop for all this too, is is the, the legal wrangling that's going on there, the various efforts that are going to be made. To, to, he's, he's got so many legal balls in the air. Like that yeah. that could be a news outlet with the right resources could easily dedicate one reporter just to his legal situation and another to the political side of yeah. the next nine yeah. months, because it's, it really is that complex um, and it remains to be seen what kind of actual repercussions it will have on the on the thing itself. But it's, yeah, no, there's, there's, it's very daunting. There's a lot coming down. And, and I feel like it's landing at a time when people are just so weary of a lot of this. People right. are, politics is exhausting and has been <laughs> for a long time, especially in the United States. Like, and, and we're saying this is a Canadian outlet. We do, we do not have, like, let us be clear, the brunt of this is not going to fall on That's the, correct. the Canadian That's media, correct, right? Yeah. So I... I you know, Thoughts, but, warm, warm thoughts to my American yeah. media compatriots is all I've got right now. Yeah, honestly. But, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite a ride.
0: But 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 and obviously it's it certainly matters, right? Like I'll I'll paraphrase. Oh, Pier, Pier, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase Pierre Elliott Trudeau. When a mouse and an elephant share a bed, the mouse has to be acutely aware of every move the elephant makes, and that is largely the North American experience, especially when you think about uh, free trade and isolationism, and maybe some blocks that are forming internationally in terms of where allyship lies. it. it it's a very wow. complicated geopolitical picture, and, and Michelle, I'll, I'll say this too, because I do want to offer some balance here. There is a deep dissatisfaction with the current president, Joe Biden, as well. Um, some 100%. of it, some, some of it fair, and some of it unfair. But nonetheless, there is deep dissatisfaction. So it's not as if there's something uber inspiring on the other side of the binary that is American politics. So so that that becomes one of the complications in the way this is going to be talked about is going to be talked about as well. Because there's going to be a real journey here for the American Democratic Party, which admittedly has done quite well in some midterm elections and did really well in an off-year election last year. But the actual character of Joe Biden, the individual of Joe Biden, is one that is not inspiring a ton of confidence. People seem to be more confident in the general idea of the Democratic Party rather than the person who leads it, which also sort of—which is almost like a mirror of the Donald Trump on the Republican side. It's people who are devoted to their party, but not super excited about their leaders.
8: You're totally right. Um, the, the, and when you said earlier that Donald Trump will almost certainly be a nominee and potentially another second-term president, that is true. And that is exactly why. there is Some of Joe Biden's polling numbers are some of the worst I've ever seen. Um, it, I think it's raised some questions about what he wants to do. With, does he stick with Kamala Harris as VP? Does he change running mates? Um, There are going to be questions around Donald Trump's potential running mate. I'm not sure how much that actually matters, but it's another thread to watch as, as yeah. people try to juggle and, and correct these misconceptions. Is that one, or not misconceptions, but correct the, try to take control of their own party narratives. I wonder if, if running mates are going to be one tool through which they try to do that and they try to counter some of the personal unpopularity both candidates are facing.
0: Michelle, we just did nine minutes on the American election, so let's uh, go north (laughs) of the border here to talk very quickly about the federal (laughs) governments in Canada and their climate goals. I just played a clip Mm -hmm. in the first uh, segment of the show from Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne about a real need to push for more renewable energy projects in the country, but the rubber is really going to hit the road with climate goals this year. What's on your radar when it comes to
8: climate goals? It really is, yeah. We saw the regulations all most of last year. We were waiting for regulations on what climate emission, you know, emission reduction targets were going to look like. They've landed now. Um, the push is on, and and. The other one that's really striking me is related to what you said with Champagne. We saw a ton of announcements roll out last year about, you know, funding for EV battery factories, critical mineral harvesting, efforts to build up infrastructure to support the push to electric vehicles, while with the goal of getting rid of gas-powered vehicles. I think it's by 2035. Correct me if I got that the, date that, wrong. That's, but their that's, I it is. Yeah, that's their target. That's their target. So. We saw those announcements really start to to ramp up in earnest last year. Now we're going to have to see acted upon. 11 years is not a big time frame for projects of this scope to, t- to take root, for a wholesale shift of this kind to be executed. So I'll be really interested to see if that momentum continues. Certainly th- this government has it on its agenda and wants to. Um, but there's a lot that needs to happen, uh, and that's going one where I'm going to be watching with great interest, because that's a huge commitment, and those infrastructure, if it's not in place, that goal will not happen.
0: Michelle, let's do a little bit of optimism on the way out the door here. The Professional Women's Hockey League, the PWHL, 2020, mm-hmm. 2024 has already seen a spotlight on women's sports. The league made its debut. It was on awesome. You- it yeah. was so cool. Yeah, like- <laughs> give me a second, Michelle. Let me set this up for the people. Let me set this up for the people. Hold on. Hold on. Continue. Sorry. Spoiler Con- alert. It yeah. was awesome. Let, okay. let, let, let me mansplain before you do your enthusiasm here. Uh- <laughs> The league made its debut on New Year's Day. They have sponsors, a media deal, and they're moving tickets. They did over 8,000 tickets for the Montreal-Ottawa game on a Tuesday night, which was just amazing. So, Michelle, a few days after the inaugural game and that sellout in Ottawa, what's your perception of the significance of the league?
8: I think it's really... Good. This is the first league that I've seen that's really, really taken off. I know there have been past attempts to to introduce women's hockey on a more permanent basis than just the Olympics, but this one seems to really, really have the wind at its back. The player, the, the the caliber of playing is amazing. It's so cool to see every, even like female media commentators. I just think this is a real breath of fresh air on the Canadian sports scene. And it builds, I think, on some of the momentum laid by our women's soccer team. Like mm-hmm. the women's soccer Canada is Canada. It's huge as well. And I think Canadian female soccer players and, and hockey players are really leading the charge in equalizing women's sport in this country. And I think it's extremely cool to watch. It was awesome to see sold out crowds on on Monday's game for Toronto versus New York. Super cool to see a Canadian be the first woman to score a goal in this new league. Like it, it's just it's just a cool story and it it is a really nice kind of counterweight to all the other negativity that yeah. we
0: can it, It's actually, it's, to me, it's a great continuity of something that began to, well, it's been emerging for years, but really showed itself at the Women's Soccer World Cup last year, where mm, a with bunch all the
8: pay equity issues and everything. Pay yes.
0: equity issues were brought to the table as were development models, where European yep. teams are starting to take it very seriously to use professional women's soccer and professional clubs, like the Barcelonas of the world, the Liverpools of the world, the Real Madrids of the world, funding their women's soccer teams and doing those development models. In the American model, uh, the universities' name, image, and likeness policies, players being able to make money while they're playing at their universities, have been huge. The Iowa— Louisiana State University women's college basketball final last year drew over 11 million viewers, which outviewed wow. most NBA games in American television ratings. So it's not simply wow. a virtue signal, signal in here, Michelle. There's a real appetite to not just support women's sports, but start putting money in the athletes' pockets. Mm. And that's ultimately the next stop in this destination. It's to start offering career opportunities for women in sports, not simply a feel good story till you're 23 and then go do something else.
8: Totally true. And I think it's actually going to work because if we're seeing, the if, if the funding is provided, the appetite is so clearly there. These numbers you were citing, what we've seen with the PWHL so far, people want to see viable women's athletics. And I think that, uh, I, th- I think it's having its moment in the sun. And I think until things get really complicated and things expand and uh, these leagues get subject to the more Byzantine goings back and forth, but now we see it in, in a lot of men's sports that we talked about on the panel sometimes, I think this is a really positive moment yeah. for, for this whole movement. It's, it's just, it's, it's exciting.
0: And a big shout
8: out. to. And bell... I say this even as a non, non huge sports fan. It's, <laughs> it's just a cool, it's just a cool societal breakthrough. I, I really feel it that way.
0: Except it is an Olympic year, which means for a few weeks, Michelle will be a sports fan. That's, that's how, that's how this goes. Michelle, Michelle does get down. You know guys. me so well. <laughs> yeah. uh, the you...
8: Olympics are my secret shame. It's true.
0: <laughs> uh, and hey, I, I do want to give one shout out on the way out the door here. A big shout out to bell media and TSN for cutting a media deal with the phwl and platforming the games in a big way like that like that's a huge part of this you've got to make the sport accessible to people and bell media and tsn stepped up in a huge way so big shout out to them as well Uh, absolutely there we go hey michelle this is a nice double dose this week you set the table today news panel tomorrow have an excellent 24 hours
8: You too. Talk tomorrow. Bye, everybody.
0: That's Michelle McQuig, Weekend News Editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up after the break, it's all about the world of disability and politics. Megan Gilmore looks ahead to some of the biggest disability stories in 2024. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's a new year, but there are some disability and accessibility stories that are going to sound very familiar to you, especially when it comes to the world of politics. Reporter Megan Gilmore has been all over the national disability benefit and a bunch of other stories affecting people with disabilities across the country. So today, Megan looks ahead to the progress of those stories heading into 2024. Megan is a reporter for Canadian Affairs. Hey, good morning, Megan.
5: Good morning, Dave. Happy New Year.
0: Megan, happy New Year to you as well. So Megan canada disability benefit you and i have talked about this extensively and we'll continue to talk about it extensively because it is really 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 important megan let's start with the crystal ball how likely is it to come about in 2024 and when i say that i mean how likely are we to get past the regulation phase and money landing in people's bank accounts
5: So I'm going to answer that question by referring to something that Minister Kamakara, who is the Minister of Diversity, Inclusion, and Persons with Disabilities, something that she said on December 11th at a parliamentary committee. She said that the law will be proclaimed in force June of this year and that regulations will be done June of 2025. So from that, we can uh, assume, I think, fairly accurately, that no, people will not be receiving money this calendar year from the Canada Disability Benefit unless there is some sudden change uh, that happens in the next few months.
0: I'm going to use the word important again here, Megan. Mm -hmm. Reiterate that timeline. Just in case somebody buzzed their smoothie or or blocked their ears for a second, reiterate that timeline because that's really significant.
5: Sure. So I'm just going to back up a little bit and explain what this timeline means. So as many people will remember, when Bill C-22, now the Canada Disability Benefit Act, was going through Parliament, we spent a lot of time talking about this 12-month window that the government gave itself to create the main regulations to have the benefit, 12 months from the passing of the law. Technically... It was not 12 months from the passing of the law from royal assent. It was 12 months from the law being declared in force. And the law has this interesting provision in it where it says that the law will be declared in force by a date to be determined by the cabinet or... It will be declared automatically in force one year after royal assent. So royal assent happened June 2023, and the government is not planning on declaring the law in force. It's going to wait until June 2024 when it will automatically become in force. Then that starts the one-year timeline for regulation development. And Minister Kara is saying that regulations will not be developed until June 2025. So it is almost a certainty that people will not be receiving the Canada disability benefit this calendar year.
0: So, Megan, here's where, again, I start using words like important and significant, because I can't even think of other synonyms to throw in here. There is the possibility of a federal election looming. Uh, In 2025, almost certainly there's going to be an election. What happens if there's an election?
5: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one I would like to know the answer to. Um, and, and to be fair, I, I haven't started pounding the opposition parties yet, to, and they're probably not even going to actually say, uh, publicly yet because there, there is not an election yet. But it is what I hope happens, Dave. What I would hope happens is that people ask their candidates about this, yeah. Um, This, uh, I'm going to jump maybe a bit on an editorial soapbox here. Do it. Uh, This benefit was first announced in September 2020 in the speech from the throne from then Governor General Julie Payette. Uh, If regulations are not enforced until June 2025, that is almost five years after that initial announcement, and it will be four years since the original legislation was tabled in the House in June of 2021. That is an incredibly long time that people have been waiting. And what frustrates me as a journalist and then just as a citizen in this country is that we have had elections in in these years since then, and there's hardly been a peep about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a bit of talk last time because of our last guest, Michelle McQuig, but the very like hardly any public recognition that this is going on, and this is a massive social pro- uh, project. Um it's very complicated and on the it's it's a simple idea that I think is going to be somewhat complicated to get to
0: yeah, work yeah.
5: effectively. And the lack of public discussion about it, I think, is incredibly jarring. Um and the fact that so many of us, myself included, like I did not do my job correctly in June and um, explaining like it was actually the coming into force that would set off the the 12 month timeline for regulations. And I think the government personally just needs to own up and say, we know people have been waiting and they feel let down and you need to deal with that. You need to deal with the emotions that your constituents and future voters are dealing with right now because on one hand people want this benefit on the other hand i've spoken to people who've been very active in petitioning the government for uh emergency relief and while they wait for this benefit they don't even think they're gonna ever see this benefit so there's a lot of tension here and i wish that was acknowledged more than it is right now
0: megan i i'm appreciative of you hopping on that soapbox because because look, timelines are important here and if in 2020 There's an acknowledgement of an urgency of an issue, and that's poverty impacting Canadians with disabilities. How on earth can you say it's worthwhile that it's been five years since you've been able to really act on the file, that it's going to be five years before a dollar drops into somebody's pocket, even acknowledging the complication? And here's my fear, and and I know I'm trying to avoid pessimism this morning, but here's my fear. Not that I'm likening these two things to one another, but when the old Paul Martin liberal government was defeated by Stephen Harper about, oh my gosh, 18 years ago, because I'm old, I'm a fossil, cannabis cannabis legalization was on the table, and then it just went away. And that's my concern. If there's a change in governments, because I'm fairly certain the federal conservatives are going to win the next election, if they don't believe in this legislation— or in the way the regulations are being framed up, there's the possibility of now restarting another clock of trying to get this done. And then what is it? 2028, 2029, 2030. And all of a sudden, it's a decade of, of understanding there's an urgency here and no action.
5: Right, yeah. And June, like, in the parliamentary calendar, June is when they go on summer break.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right? right. So,
5: like, I think it is... Just an interesting fact that any time this legislation has been tabled, so the original piece of legislation in 2021, and then when it was reintroduced in 2022 with zero changes, um, and then when it was passed, it always happens at the end. And personally, I think it needs to happen a little quicker. In the, in the schedule of the sitting,
0: of Yeah. Hey, Megan, we got to be a little bit quicker on these last two, because yep. one, you have to get back to work, and I don't want to blow up the show's clock completely. Medical assistance and dying, you've also yep. been on that file for a long time. What is on your radar heading into 2024 on the MAID file?
5: Sure. So right now, the government is planning to allow MAID for individuals whose sole, so only underlying medical condition is a mental illness on March 17th. However... Um, Late December, the Canadian press was reporting that the new justice minister is considering um, all things related to this. So that could potentially mean another uh, delay in that. Um, So we don't know. Right now, the plan is still that it will be expanded uh, in a little over two months. Uh, we, We don't know. So keep your keep your eyes and ears and everything uh, tuned out for that. One thing I will say that we have seen a lot more, especially in the past few months, is there's a lot of disagreement within the House of Commons about whether or not we should be allowing made for mental illness. And this disagreement comes from all, pretty much all parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's there's a lot of concerns that have been raised from from doctors, but also parliamentarians of all political stripes are asking questions about it. Can is this something that we can or should be doing?
0: And Megan, let's get to one provincial story here, but it's a provincial story with some national implications (laughs) right before the holidays. I mean, right before the holidays, a fourth review of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act was finally published, I say finally, because it had been given to the government months earlier before finally being released to the public. It's pretty clear. Uh, in fact, it's very clear. In fact, Rich Donovan said it's borderline a crisis. It is a crisis that Ontario will not meet their accessibility targets by 2025, a goal that was set 20 years ago. Uh, what did you take away from the review?
5: Sure. Uh, so firstly, obvious, which we all knew. Like, nobody was surprised when, when Rich Donovan said that. People have known that for years. But what I took away from the review is this was a very different Review. It was a very different report than, say, the David Onley report that we covered back in 2019 from uh, the, late, the late David Onley. Um, uh, Mr. Donovan makes a lot of great observations, such as calling this a crisis, but some of his solutions have not been received very well by key disability accessibility advocates. So for example, one of the things that he says is that he would like the federal government to be in charge, well, he's recommending that the federal government be in charge of auditing the accessibility of private businesses in Ontario, and specifically thinks that the Canadian Revenue Agency would be uh, poised to do that. That's a strange recommendation, Uh, the CRA deals with taxes. Um, So there, he does not talk about standards. He seems to not even be sure if he thinks accessibility standards are a good thing. Mm. And while I think that it is fair to critique whether or not accessibility standards have been effective and led to good change, accessibility standards are kind of how this legislation is built. So, it raises a lot of questions, of like, well, what are you going to replace them with if you don't think that we need accessibility standards?
0: It it's uh, striking that almost twenty years into the existence of the legislation that you're talking about potentially a rethinking of how you wanna execute the legislation when you're supposed to be two years away from completing the first phase of the legislation. I I can see why that would be uh, very frustrating to people. And listen, maybe he's right. Maybe we do need to reconsider how we're Mm -hmm. building accessibility legislation, but the AODA has been a framework for a lot of other federal and provincial legislations when it comes to accessibility. So if we're rethinking the AODA, we have to rethink everything.
5: right yeah yeah that's perfectly it and it was fascinating to me to compare the release of that report with david onley's report um and quite frankly i think david onley's 2019 review is incredibly well written it is a good read it made me think accessibility legislation is exciting I suddenly cared about Municipal Accessibility Advisory Committees because of David Onley's report, incredibly well-written, very effective. He also got a bit of controversy with his language that he chose to use, but he did it effectively for getting his point across. And people loved that report, and they latched onto it. Trying to talk to people about uh, Mr. Donovan's report, so many people had criticisms and concerns about it, but would not go on the record.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
5: And, like... The fact that the report as a whole is not being fully embraced by Ontario's accessibility uh, advocates and community, I just think is a fascinating development uh, as a story to watch.
0: Yeah. Hey, Megan, I took you way over time today. I'm sorry. apologize to your bosses for me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's Megan Gilmore, a reporter for Canadian Affairs. Coming up after the break, sustainability and fashion. What are you doing with all those clothes you received around the holidays? Jenny Bovard has some ideas on being a little bit more mindful and conscious of all the clothes hanging in your closet. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Here's a post-holiday question for you. How's your kitchen looking? The leftover turkey may be gone, but my counters are covered with a smattering of snacks. Leftovers do present a great opportunity, especially for sandwich lovers. I certainly indulged in a few between Christmas and New Year's. Jenny Bovard is a fellow lover of sandwiches. Jenny hosts the Low Vision Moments podcast. Hey, good morning, Jenny.
9: Good morning, Dave. Happy New Year.
0: Jenny, Happy New Year to you as well. So when it comes to repurposing holiday leftovers, I kept mine pretty simple. A turkey sandwich with some stuffing and some mayo on a crusty roll. Good stuff. Easy to do. What did you scheme up with your leftovers?
9: Ooh, that really takes me back. The turkey sandwich with a little bit of mayo and black pepper. Ooh, my childhood is flashing before my eyes. (laughs) Um, Well, my husband and I, it was just the two of us for dinner this year, so we didn't have a ton of leftovers, but I do have past experience, and we did have the in-laws over uh, just before the holidays to spend some time with them. And what we did is called a raclette grill, and it's a Swiss tradition. It is essentially a tabletop grill. I believe we've talked about it on the show mm-hmm. before some some time ago. Uh, it's a tabletop grill. You plug it in. It's electric. You can grill whatever you like on top. Your meats, your veggies. You grill your veggies as you go and your meat as you go. But underneath is the pièce de résistance, is a little tray where you melt your cheese oh. underneath the grill. So you've got your own little personal cheese tray and you serve boiled little potatoes on the side and it is just delicious. But there's to be some leftovers frankly it's usually the veggies we get through the meat and much of the cheese <laughs> now, with all of these things it just makes a perfect um a perfect mix for an omelet or a frittata which is just like an open face omelet mm. for me that's the go-to because it's like a little more foolproof uh, but that's not a common thing right the tish grill that's that's our thing a lot of people do turkey a lot of people do ham so i say why not make a frico which is uh it's uh, an acadian Dish or like just a turkey soup with your leftovers. You can use your carrots, you can use your root veggies, put them together in a beautiful, um, a beautiful frico or a beautiful um, ham. Soup, ham and split pea soup. If you did ham, why right, not? Right? right yeah. You can control the sodium and the fat that goes into these, unlike the soup that you buy off the shelf. They're hearty, they last a long time. You're going to save a little money after the holidays if you freeze a big batch of it. So, those are my ideas. I've heard of people doing casserole, and I'm not quite sold on that. Throwing everything together in a casserole, um, maybe someone can convince me otherwise, though.
0: Yeah, or taking your leftover mashed potatoes and just making a big mishmash with a bunch of stuff in it, like definitely uh, works nicely. As- well hey Jenny that sounds like a lot of work though let's talk about some day-to-day stuff your go-to easy day-to-day sandwich this is also the daily poll question at accessible media on twitter at accessible media inc on facebook
9: um well I think that a lot of people are going to agree and it is the peanut butter and banana sandwich yo it's yo easy. that's my that's
0: my answer that's my answer peanut butter um, and banana on whole
9: wheat we're We're kindred. We're kindred sandwich spirits, dave. it It's so good. I do multigrain bread. It's just, it's got everything you need. And like, who doesn't have this stuff on hand? Although right now I'm having a heck of a time finding really good bananas. So
0: mm-hmm.
9: not many of those in my life right now, unfortunately. I'm yeah. on the hunt.
0: It, it, it's <laughs> banana, Bananas at the grocery store a bit of a funny game because if you don't go the right day, they're looking pretty brown or pretty green. It's, it's a small window. It's a small window to get good bananas. But yeah, Jenny, same page between you and me there. I love that. Okay, what about your favorite sandwich? I, I've got a couple, but if you forced me, Fried egg, bacon, cheese on sourdough, maybe a tomato and pickle, spicy mayo. Something that takes a little bit of time, but probably not more than 15 minutes.
9: Mm -mm -mm, That sounds good. Now, we've been doing this long enough, Dave, that you should know that I can be fairly indecisive, especially when it comes to food, but I'm going to (laughs) try. I love sandwiches so much. Anything handheld, I make them at home. I buy them. Um, My own pulled chicken sandwich is amazing. But I'm going to go super indulgent. Have you ever had a croque, monsieur?
0: Oh, many, many times. Breakfast sandwich, essentially?
9: Essentially. It is, I would probably say, the king of brunch or breakfast sandwiches. It translates croque, monsieur, to, like, crunchy gentleman. And it is a delicious (laughs) crunchy gentleman. Um, it sounds funny when you say it out loud, but it it is an oldie, too. It dates back to, like, 1891 or something, and it is is very much a French indulgent dish. Imagine French toast. The bread of the sandwich is essentially French toast. You've got sliced ham on there. Traditionally, you do gruyere or emmentaler cheese in it, and it gets all melty and delicious inside. And um, on top, you can a little bit of extra cheese and it, you fry it or bake it to crispy goodness. And it, I don't recommend eating it every day, certainly. But if you want to treat yourself, a croque monsieur is my That is mine.
0: Mm. Yeah, my old, all time. my old diner in Ottawa used to make a killer croque monsieur, like top, top, top tier. Uh, Jenny, one more holiday thread to pull at here. Uh, autobiographical experience. My parents gave me a lovely new windbreaker. It's a great jacket. I've already been wearing it a bunch. But it's another item in a very crowded closet. And there's some stats to sort of talk about here. The 2019 McKinsey State of Fashion Report shows the average person buys 60% more items of clothing than they did 15 years ago and keeps them for only half as long. The data also shows that people are only wearing clothes seven times on average. What? Uh, Jenny, that's my reaction to the data. What? Uh, What's your reaction to the data? (laughs) (목소리나) MBC 뉴스 박진주입니다.
9: MBC Seven times? Who only wears their clothes seven times? And and my reaction is, well, what? My jaw dropped when I read this article and this information. I wear my clothes until they fall apart. Yeah. I literally <laughs> have hoodies that I'm realizing are 20 years old with bands on them that nobody has ever heard of anymore because they're so old. And I think it comes down to, for me anyway, I think it comes down to sort of things that were instilled in me uh, through through growing up with my family, the budget to buy clothes was there when you needed something new. You mentioned a windbreaker. That's a great staple to have in your closet. And it's something that, in my opinion, should last years. Next year, if a hot new windbreaker gets released, are you going to run out and buy no, it? or Are you no, going to take no. a look in your closet and say, hey, I have a perfectly good one here? And you, you the things that people don't realize is if we take really good care of our clothes... I didn't learn this until later on is really how to take care of my clothes and things that are meant to be waterproof. For example, they can lose their waterproofing abilities. You can wash waterproofing into them. There are things that we can do to keep our clothes for longer. So seven times in the lifetime, in the time that you have a garment blew my mind.
0: Yeah, I, I try to be mindful of not buying too many clothes, Jenny. My my closet is contrary to that attempt, <laughs> but it's mostly because I don't tend to get rid of things, and that's one of the things that I'm going to try to make a bigger point on is when I've got something that I'm not wearing that is still wearable, try to get that out to a thrift store or donate it as fast as possible just so I'm giving other people more options, especially for me as a bigger guy who typically wears about a 3X, there are other people in this world who are probably looking for 3x and don't want to spend a bazillion dollars to buy things so when i can trying to get things out the door to thrift stores or the salvation army or places like that faster
9: that is a huge tip that's a huge takeaway is if you do choose to purge something eject something from your wardrobe thinking about donating it is such a good idea and then in turn purchasing secondhand when you can i don't buy everything secondhand certainly but it can be a bit of an adventure and it is a really uh, environmentally sound way to go about things if people are tossing things out after wearing them seven times just imagine the environmental impact and then of course there is the pressure to keep up with trends for some folks more than others um i purge my closet like twice a year and and Usually, it's to switch over to warmer or cooler clothing, depending on the weather. But at that time, that's when I go through my stuff. And there are even some services like the Canadian Diabetes Association. They will Mm, come to your house mm. and pick up your old bags of clothes. Some other things that I learned over the years something I've been doing forever is like swapping my old clothes that I do not wish to have anymore uh, with family or friends. My sister came to visit me in the fall. She brought me a couple of trash bags full of full of clothing. I am in fact wearing a beautiful knit hot pink sweater that she gave me that I acquired through this uh, swapping uh, way of, of recycling clothes, right? And it's, it's hilarious to me, Dave, that how cyclical fashion is so before you throw something out maybe think about like shopping your own closet and thinking about how you can style something up to meet today's standards like yeah. things that I wore in the 90s if I still had some of those things tucked away in my closet I would be so in style right now so <laughs> there are a lot of things that we can do it doesn't have to be complicated Shop secondhand. Donate your clothes. And really, like I said, shop your closet was an advice, uh, a piece of advice that I read when I was reading that article about the statistics. People only wear 20% of their wardrobe. And, And that also kind of shocks me, right? So you might have something hiding in the back of your closet that you don't even know is there before you go out and buy something new. Maybe take a look around.
0: And if you're a dude, just start dating someone and your <laughs> hoodies are going to start missing, uh, missing uh, <laughs> and you're not going to know where they go. Uh, Jenny, one last thought here. And, and senior producer, Andrejka Delano, would be livid at me if I didn't bring this up. Think about the materials that you're using for your clothes as well, whether those are sustainable materials or they're durable materials. Think about that because there are some materials that are very plastic based and some of them need to be but not all Mm -hmm. of your clothing needs to be. So if you can be mindful, I know it can be expensive from time to times, but think about the material of your clothing as well.
9: But those are the things that we're going, they're going to last you years. I have winter jackets that last me a decade. I have things that are very old and it's because they're more quality items.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes that's an investment. I know it's hard. I know it's hard that money's tight, but when you can, it's uh, it's definitely worth it. Hey, Jenny, thank you for this. Always great to chat with you moments podcast. Let's bring in Laura Bain to talk a little bit about entertainment. Laura Snoop doggy dog, the S N double O P D O double J Z is going to be making some appearances at the summer Olympics.
2: Yeah, that is right. He's going to be joining NBC's coverage of the Paris Olympics. So uh, he's going to be taking on the role of special correspondent alongside regular Olympics host Mike uh, Tirico. Tariko? <laughs> yeah, you know that. I know that. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, the pronunciation. I know I'm revealing myself here. Um, and that's going to be for NBC's primetime coverage. So, according to NBC, he's going to be exploring uh, iconic Paris landmarks. I think that sounds really entertaining. Uh, attending events and competitions and interviewing athletes and their friends and families. So when I heard about this story, it stuck it struck me as a little bit of an odd choice, but that's because I I didn't realize he's not a total newbie to olympic commentary so during the tokyo olympics he actually did some highlight commentary for peacock tv which is nbc's streaming service it's not available here in canada If folks aren't familiar with it but um that was alongside comedian kevin hart so i checked that out this morning and i found it really entertaining i was it was like laugh out loud funny um but I thought a lot of that was kind of the dynamic between Snoop Dogg and Kevin Hart and how they were playing off of each other. So I'm curious how that's going to work with the regular Olympics host. And I'm also Curious how candid Snoop Dogg's going to be able to be on (laughs) Primetime Network. Like, he was very candid on Peacock, making fun of athletes and using a lot of swear words and stuff. And so, um, yeah, how is that going to work? But for me, like, a lot of what was so funny was that um, he kind of played this role of being unfamiliar with what he was commentating on, whether he genuinely didn't know anything about the sport or was just pretending – And it was really approachable for someone like me who also doesn't know anything about the sport, but... I wondered how it's going to work for serious sport fans and what kind of tolerance they're going to have for it. Which is where I kind of come to my question for you, Dave. As a, you know, serious sports fan, as I know that you are, what do you, uh, what do you think about Ooh, this choice?
0: I'm a big sports fan, but serious I take to be an insult. Yeah. I am someone who actually believes sports broadcasting has become way too earnest and way too cliched. So I think anything that a network or broadcaster can do to breathe life into a broadcast is fantastic and Snoop Dogg is such a charismatic interesting funny guy who's been in the cultural zeitgeist forever but he's a great communicator as well I, I think about the show he had with Martha Stewart the cooking show he had with Martha Stewart that was just fabulous fabulous Fabulous, fabulous. The idea of having him go out and do lifestyle reports around Paris, occasionally make some jokes and do some stuff in terms of the primetime coverage is going to feel really good as well because the actual broadcasting of the events can be earnest and sincere. But when we throw back to the studio, Let's have some fun. It's the Olympics. The Olympics is built for casual sports fans. There's, there's, there's nobody in the world who has a serious take about the 800-meter track and field events, right? Or the, aqua- or the horse dancing. Like, like, those populations are so small. You might as well just make it absurdist and, like, have some fun with it. Broadcasting is supposed to be fun.
2: Yeah, you know, that's fair enough. And, I mean, I think the world could use a little bit of levity right now. And uh, it's pretty likely i think to bring in some new viewership for nbc and for the coverage um perhaps people like myself who don't typically watch the olympics um you know i'm also not like i, I don't dislike snoop Dogg, but i'm not like a big snoop dog fan but based on what i saw this morning i might i might tune in it was pretty like i say pretty entertaining
0: yeah, yeah. should be noted recreational cannabis not legal in france so uh, i don't know what the dog father is going to do about that laura thank you for this yeah.
2: have a great day <laughs> Thanks, Dave. You too. That
0: is Laura Bain with an entertainment report coming up after the break. It's a quick regional news update and then talking about sports with Brock Richardson. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the Consumer Technology Association is hosting CES next week in Las Vegas. Marco Flalo looks ahead to the event. And Reservoir Dogs is a series that came to an end, but the series is available to binge on Disney+. Plus. Michael McNeely gives you his review. Brock Richardson is standing by for a sports chat, but let's begin the hour with a quick regional news update. of these stories coming to you from the world of real estate. Vancouver's real estate board has put out their December statistics. Michelle Zadokian takes a closer look.
1: The board says home sales in December rose 3.2% from the same month last year, but it was still roughly 36% below the 10-year seasonal average. The composite benchmark home price for Metro Vancouver was $1.17 million, a slight dip from the month before. The board says higher borrowing costs haven't been enough to dissuade buyers from entering the market, but that the story of 2023 is one of too few homes for sale relative to the pool of willing and qualified buyers michelle Zadikian, the canadian press and in
0: ontario december was a busy month in the toronto real estate market the number of home sales rose by over 11 percent year over year here once again is michelle Zadikian.
1: The average home price at the end of the year was $1.08 million, up 3.2% from December 2022. New listings were down in the month. Total sales in the region last year were 12% lower than 2022 as many buyers were sidelined because of high mortgage rates. The Toronto Regional Real Estate Board says it expects sales activity to rebound this year as borrowing costs trend lower, which will in turn contribute to higher prices. Michelle's he can, the Canadian press.
0: All right, that's your look at the regional news. A little bit of real estate info for you to start the year. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, you and I are oftentimes making fun of athletes for talking in cliches. Mm-hmm. And a Toronto Blue Jays recent public comments have you thinking about what athletes have to say to the media?
3: Yes, so center fielder and recently re-signed with the Toronto Blue Jays for the 2024 season, Kevin Kiermaier, and came out, he came out yesterday and said he wanted to be the best version of himself in 2024. And I understand why athletes say these things, because, Dave, it's not as if they're going to come out and say publicly, yeah, I think I'm going to have a crap year, and uh, you're just going to have to deal with it, because that wouldn't go over well. But it got me wondering... Do you feel it's important for athletes to come out now with spring training, you know, a little bit in the, you know, distant and and say things like this? Do you feel it's important? And why or why not? Is it important in your mind? Brock,
0: like I've told you a million times, I've never been an elite athlete, so it's hard for me to put my mind in the brain of an elite athlete. But I will say any job that requires high performance requires you to have self-confidence. And I wonder if in Kevin Kermeyer's case, this is simply an affirmation of him doing his own psychological setting going into the year that says, I am at my best, I will be at my best, and I will perform my best. And that's where I can bounce the question back to you because you're someone who's competed at the highest level in para-sports. How important is self-affirmation for an elite athlete?
3: You do. You do need it. It's one of the things that they preach, you know, for you to do in your own um, time, in your own circle, to, to lead up to events. But it's not something, at least in my world, when we, when we were competing, it's not something where you need to publicly declare unless you want people to keep you honest for what it is you said. Because if you're going to tell your teammates or your friends, look, I'm going to be the best of myself, then, and it's a matter of, Look, I want people to keep me honest. That's cool. But I really subscribe to the theory of, like, actions speak louder than words. And and I hate to be as blunt as this, but talk is a little bit cheap. Because we've heard from Vladimir Guerrero for years, he's going to be better, he's going to be better, he's going to be better. And he does get a little bit better, but we need to see him take that next step. So, And I know Kevin Kiermaier and him are not in the same category, I get it. But I just think you can say it to hype yourself up, but you do need to put the, the, the actions on the field, and it needs to go beyond words, too. So that's where it is. We're uh, going to be the state of Missouri,
0: the show-me state this morning. you got to show me, don't tell me. Brock, thank you for this. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. You're welcome. That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk coming up after the break. The Consumer Technology Association is putting on CES next week in Las Vegas. Mark Aflalo looks ahead to the event. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm not the one back it's now with dave brown on ami tv the consumer technology association is hosting their annual event in las vegas next week mark aflalo is looking forward to ces and he has a few ideas on what you can expect mark is one of the hosts of access tech live on ami tv hey good morning mark happy new year Happy New Year,
10: Dave. Yeah, ideas are definitely things on my mind when it comes to CES, but (laughs) I'll tell you, man, if you've ever been to one of these, uh, the surprises tend to lurk in every single corner of these big, giant convention centers, and it sprawls across Las Vegas, so uh, it's going to be a fun week.
0: That's what I was going to say, that you and I can do all the reckless speculation that we want to today. We can think about all the narratives that we want. But ultimately, until you're on the ground, you don't really know. But you are someone who is tapped into these things, Mark. You're someone who, 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 who moves and shakes within the industry. So what are the overarching categories going into CES this year?
10: Well, number one, I mean, everybody is uh, pretty much assuming that AI is going to be the overarching theme across the board, the continuation of AI and how it evolves into the various products and services that we're using uh, this day and age, of course. That's number one. Number two is smart home. You know, smart home has always been on the radar at CES. It's one of these themes that will continue for a long time. But because of the fact that, In the past year, we've seen compatibility enhance across the board with matter and thread technology, which we won't get into. It basically means that it will work across the board. One device could work with Apple HomeKit, Google Play, uh, Amazon Echo devices. So we're going to see a lot more evolution there, plus AI has a role in the smart home as well, and automotive technology. I mean, we're seeing so many companies now focus on EVs, and we're going to see a lot more uh, entertainment and things around EVs that are going to pop up.
0: interoperability of smart home tech. That that makes sense to me, Mark, for one reason. Even though a company like Amazon got to the market fast and became a dominant force in the market, the fact is the consumer is going to want to buy other devices, so it's in the interest of companies like Google and Apple, or as you highlighted a few weeks ago, Ikea, to start saying, Yeah. yeah, our stuff's gonna work with Amazon. If Amazon's your base tech, ours is going to work with that, or vice versa.
10: Yeah, you know, there's no hiding the fact that this was really driven by the accessory makers, the Belkins of the world, um, who really wanted to make sure that they didn't have to manufacture seven different variations of the same smart plug, right? You know, you look at the companies like Lutron, who have been pretty agnostic in terms of compatibility across the board. But now that the, there's, there is a standard and there is a, you know, a way that these can all interoperate and communicate together, it's going to change the game because it's going to mean that the things we can do with these different devices,
0: Mark, let's turn to televisions. The actual yeah. television sets themselves, because even though TVs are maybe not necessarily uh, evolving at a rapid pace right now, TVs always tend to get some spotlight at CES probably because it's a consumer product that everybody's going to buy every couple of years. Yeah. I, know, I know I'm know, i in the market here. I bought a new dresser over the holidays, and I'm going to put a new TV in my bedroom. I'm probably not going to buy a fancy TV or one of the ones unveiled at CES. But how much evolution can really occur here? What are the bells and whistles that companies are going to be able to show off that might actually grab the headlines this year on TVs?
10: Well, you know, there's two two areas. It's size. You know, size is always one of these places that we see some of these manufacturers come out with absolutely astronomical size televisions. We're talking about the two, three, four, even 500 inch televisions to the point that they're they're not even TVs anymore. They're almost you know just panels, uh, LED panels. And I think that they're they get a focus of attention because. It's visual. It's just it's just eye catching. At the end of the day, that being said, we're seeing evolutions in the actual LED technology. Uh, TCL is one of those brands that I love following because they're um, you know they're not a high end known brand in terms of you're not going to spend three thousand dollars for a TV. You can get a TV that's under two hundred dollars that's quality that's a 4K television. But they're focusing on what's called QD Mini LED this year, which is a smaller, brighter. LED light. That means that your TVs are going to have richer blacks, better contrast, nicer color, and it's going to be cheaper and and higher resolution across the board. The other cool thing I love about TCL televisions is that they've gone the route of embedding Roku as their operating system. They have Google variations as well. So you're getting all that smart home stuff right there in your TV. So if you want to get a television set and just pop it on your wall and know that you can have Netflix and all your applications, you've got that there as well. And the same. Could be said about a brand like Hisense and and even you know the the major brands like you know Sony and Samsung these days they're putting in some kind of smarts into their televisions to make sure that you can access that stuff as well in terms of evolution other than the picture Dave they're going for two areas one is software is trying to figure out how can they set things apart on the TCL side of things they're gonna be announcing next week some really cool stuff including auto customization and this takes the AI elements of things and says, okay, how do we take AI and how do we marry this into an experience that users will benefit from at home? And they've seen that studies have shown that people don't customize their TVs, whether they're using it for games or movies, they don't really make any customizations. Well, now with AI, they can walk you through a little short setup process, ask you a couple questions, and then tune a TV to your liking. And that's where the software comes in. The other one is sound. I think, I think there's a lot of room for improvement yeah. when it comes to the sound quality that comes out of these televisions. I mean, you look at laptops, you know, latest generation MacBooks and Dell computers have incredible sounding speakers in small packages. They need to include those in the televisions. Now, I know that there's a whole audio market that's, you know, that, that's there. that They don't want to cannibalize. But a good sounding TV with a good sounding picture really does complete that package.
0: It's one of the things that I noticed a couple of years ago when I had to replace my old television, that the new TV that I bought, the sound was just so much better. It has not yeah. stopped people people in my life from telling me, oh, you gotta buy a sound bar, you gotta get this surround sound. But <laughs> I, I kinda I kinda like it. I kinda like it just just like just the way it is. And I, I think it sounds great. Um, Mark, the one thing that I would be looking for here is as TV frames are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and the bezels are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. One is that it seems that a lot of uh, ports are going away or there's less ports available. So, HDMIs or ARC cables or uh, other forms of connections for multiple devices. The other thing, and we encountered this with one of our AMI TVs uh, this morning while we were trying to do some stuff in the studio, there's no more physical buttons on TV. So, if you lose yeah. the remote or you drop your remote or you have not downloaded the compatible software for your phone, to operate things like channel and volume, you You can't do it on the physical TV anymore, and that's a little bit of a frustration. I would like to see TV makers maybe drift back in that direction, even if just for something like volume and power.
10: Yeah, I mean, just a power button. I mean, even you know, even iPhones have still have that home button. Uh, You know, a little on-off sleep wake button, right? So we 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 need some kind of something to just say, okay, I don't want to have to unplug this and plug it back in and hope for the best. I am totally with you there. And I think the port side of things, we're seeing some of the legacy ports disappearing. We're seeing some of those RCA ports and those old you know fiber optic ports disappearing. HDMI ports seem to be there, and depending on the price of the TV, you'll get more and you'll get more of the compatibility there in terms of the input so i'm with you on that dave
0: mark i need my composite input because how would i plug my nintendo 64 into my tv if they take away my That's composite input?
10: adapters dave
0: adapters this <laughs> is <So, so laughs> more money going out of my pocket just money <laughs> going out of my pocket all over the place uh mark are you going down are you going down to vegas next week so, so we're not going down
10: uh, this year. It's one of these things that um, you have to balance the uh, how much can you cover a show when you're actually at it. And the, and the fact of the matter is, is that you can't cover it very well when you're there because you're torn between everything that you're trying to do. So we came up with a really cool hybrid plan. We're going to have a camera setup. up in Las Vegas, in the North Hall. And we have about a dozen people already scheduled to come to our booth during our live show next week. And we're going to be talking to them. And we have two live shows next week, Wednesday and Thursday at noon Eastern. And even then, I don't think we'll cover everything. But we're going to have guests live from the show floor. We're going to be talking to them, hopefully showcasing a lot of the technology that's down there. And I promise we'll just be scraping the surface.
0: Oh, Mark, you guys always have a great strategy, great minds out there in the Access Tech Live crew. Listen, all the best to you. I know you're not uh, traveling on the Big Silver Bird or staying at the uh, Flamingo and doing a little bit of uh, roulette uh, during the course of the week. But I hope that uh, it proves to be a very fruitful, exciting week. And I cannot wait to check in with you next week to uh, find out some of your takeaways.
10: I'm looking forward to it, Dave.
0: That is Marco Aflalo, he's one of the co-hosts of Access Tech Live. No live show today, there is a best of coming your way Thursday at noon on AMI-tv. Before I tell you what's coming up next, I do want you to look ahead to this coming Monday on the show. Inclusive sport advocate, Ryan Van Praet, you know him. He's always trying to give you a little bit of guidance and advice in the world of fitness and maximizing your nutrition. Well, he wants to do an Ask Me Anything segment, and I think that's a great idea. So this requires a little bit of help from you out there in listener land and the viewer vortex. You should reach out to the show on social media, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, and post your question for Ryan, your biggest fitness and nutrition question Going into the year, what do you want to know about your fitness or your nutrition? And Ryan Van Praet will try to tackle that question on Monday's show at about 1045 a.m. Eastern time. So you can find a post that's already up on social media at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, or you can just tag, DM, do your thing. I have all the faith in the world in you. Coming up after the break... Reservation Dogs is a series that may have come to an end, but you can still binge it. On Disney Plus, Michael McNeely will share a review. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. There are lots of ways for you to get in touch with the show. Things that you like, things that you didn't. Doesn't matter. We have thick skin. Social media, lots of channels available to you. At Accessible Media on Twitter slash X. At Accessible Media on TikTok. Why not tag the network on a little video? Let your face be seen and your voice be heard on TikTok at Accessible Media. If you prefer Instagram or Facebook, at Accessible Media Inc. is where you find those two points of contact at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook and Instagram. If you feel like really typing out your thoughts, maybe writing a letter, You can't actually mail it to us, but you can send an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a call, 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. I don't mind how you do it. I just want to hear your thoughts. Like I said, no matter what you hear on the show, if it rubs you the right way or the wrong way, ruffles your feathers or gives them a good Stroke, I want to hear what you think. So chime in one eight six six five zero nine forty five forty five. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. The critically acclaimed series Reservation Dogs concluded last fall. All 3 seasons are available on Disney Plus. The award-winning show was co-created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi. It's the first American series to feature an all indigenous writers and directors. It stars a cast who are almost entirely of indigenous North American descent. Some are from Canada. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely wants to put a spotlight on Reservation Dogs, and he's in studio alongside his intervener, Jillian. Hey, good morning, Michael. Hello.
6: Good morning. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Excited to uh, get your thoughts on this series. I have not pressed play on it just yet.
6: Why did you appreciate this series? I appreciated the series from what you just mentioned. That is an all-indigenous Writers, production, who, directors, and mostly cast. I would say 99% of the cast, because they do have some chunks and storylines with white people. But it's just amazing to have so much representation, a fully stacked cast, that there's so many talented indigenous actors out there, and it's great to see some of them have a platform for once in their lives.
0: When I read the title, Reservation Dogs, I'm immediately thinking of Quentin Tarantino's movie, Reservoir Dogs, which is uh, a movie that is becoming uh, quite old (laughs) at this point. It's uh, been around for a while. But what's the premise of Reservation Dogs, and is there any homage to Reservoir Dogs?
6: Yes, I think in one of these images, cycling, um, you get to see the four characters and they're kind of standing, like the cover of Reservoir Dogs. I think in some of the episodes, there are various homages to different scenes of reservoir dogs. But ultimately, this is a sound creature. The reservoir Do- so reservation dogs, it's very easy to trip up. Um, the reservation dogs are, a, again, a club of four teens. Normally, it would be five teens, but one of them is not with us anymore. Um, so it's four teens, and they are misadventures that they get into. And so, I think that that part is somewhat similar to Reservoir Dogs. But unlike Reservoir Dogs, these people stay together as a team, despite any disagreements they have. They'll always be together, Reservoir Dogs. The point of Reservoir Dogs was that they fractured and they broke up and they backstabbed each other. But that doesn't happen here.
0: You mentioned there's a lot of uh, fresh voices and faces making up the cast of this show.
6: What were your impressions of a lot of these newcomers? Well, first, I'd like to list the names if I can remember them. I believe I can. There's Paulina Alexis, there's Dave Farrell, um, Wounded High, and there's Kay Devry Jacobs. All three of those are from Canada, by the way. And then finally, we have Lane Factor. And so, All four of them play the cast of reservoir dogs. Oh, um, reservation dogs. Um, they they may seem like beginners, but they are very skilled in what they do and they actually have prior projects and upcoming projects to look forward to. So for example, K Dewey Jacobs will be in a Marvel show called Echo. And I'm very excited for that to increase indigenous representation within a superhero franchise. Um, and so for our friends that she will be alongside Dale Devil, who of course is blind. So that's all good for representation within. Right um, I think the actors, the actors do such an amazing job and they're also supported by a great cast of supporting actors, especially older actors that have been around the block a few times. I have to call out Gary Farmer, who is probably one of the greatest actors of our time. And he just does a great job. in this show is someone who loves to smoke weed. And so it's just fun to watch someone have fun with their wool. Um, I think this is the kind of show that is serious, but also does not take itself too seriously. They do engage with a lot of serious issues, such as the residential schools, which the Americans call boarding schools, but it's still the same thing, um, and other issues that may plague a reservation. But despite talking about those issues seriously, they also make jokes about how everyone is coping as well.
0: What did you think of that approach of blending comedy and serious, serious themes and some comedic
6: elements? One of my old interveners once said that a comedy is just a tragedy with an extra act on top, just to show that uh, there's a good ending. And a tragedy, a tragedy is a comedy that is minus one act. So if something bad happened before it ended well, I think I was reading on Reddit about Life is Beautiful, and I think that's a movie that's a classic, which does both. It does a romantic aspect, a romantic comedy, and then it goes into a concentration camp horror story. That's similar to this, except of course he hurt me and things positively, but we do go over some puppy puppy aspects. One of my favorite aspects of this show is the portrayal of the dear lady, and she is someone who in legend um avenges all bad men. For um, the harms that they've committed to Indigenous women and maybe girls and boys as well. Um, and so, one of my favorite scenes in memory is just her hitchhiking down the highway, because that's what many Indigenous people have had to do over the years, and many of them did not survive that. So, that's just a sap of some of the seriousness, and then some of the comedy is just, it's hard to describe, but. You feel safe watching it, because it's created by indigenous people, so you're fine to laugh at what you find, as opposed to something where that's created by a white person that maybe is stereotyping indigenous people, which is not necessarily a safe place to laugh, because you don't know if you're perpetrating harms. But here, it's kind of like you're laughing with everybody.
0: Yeah, it's a cliché, but there's some truth to the cliché, that if, yes, you're laugh- if you're laughing with somebody, you're not laughing at somebody, even if what's being presented might be a smidge problematic, because it's being authentically presented.
6: No, exactly. They've said it 100%. So, for example, they call medicine men wizards, which I think is amazing. And wizards—there's um, one wizard named physical and so Fritzico does not like the hospital, so he stands outside of the hospital. He has a little table, but the funny thing is he probably has to go into the hospital to use the bathroom, because there's a man in the table outside. And because he's such an old, old, old man, he tries to give medicine to uh, people who are on TikTok and Instagram. He has no idea what he's doing, but he says, I just give everybody stinkweed. And so that's basically the humor, in a nutshell, you get all generations coming together and just having a laugh. And the spirit guides, the spirit guides, ghosts from, like, the battle of Bekhuan, the little Bekhuan. and the spirit guide follows people on Instagram now, so he's getting used to Instagram, he's trying to understand it from an 18th-century perspective.
0: Michael, there's something that's really wonderful about this time as a media consumer, as a content consumer, that a show that you may have missed along the way is available for you even after it's done. And you don't need to go and buy a DVD or rent something at the store. You can log into a streaming service that you already have, in this case, Disney Plus, and just shoot through a show in one go, and that's what you did with Reservation Dogs. You went to Disney Plus and you binged the whole thing straight through. How do you think that changes how we appreciate
6: art as we consume it—the binging model? Well, that's a conversation we often have during the show, Dave. Is we try and stay now with Dave Brown, but sometimes now includes a little bit in the past, yeah, because people can start to catch up. And further to your point, we won't be able to buy DVDs at Best Buy
3: anymore. <laughs> That's right.
6: <laughs> so, um, I did—I was glad to do this, because it kept me busy over the holidays. It kept me working for Dave Brown. But um, in some ways, it's also nice to take your time with the series, too, because I found myself stopping, because I still had a few more days left to go. And I said, OK, I will stop now, or we've done this episode about residential schools i we reflect on this episode about community gatherings, and so I was happy to do that. But I think if I had more time, I would have reflected more. So I think binging sometimes can be challenging, because people feel pressured to push play on the next yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. I think, in all fairness, the makers of this show, being indigenous, would want you to take your time, because that is a very much indigenous way of life. They even say that in the show, so I'm not just making it up. It's really just about chilling and peeing out and just sort of having time to think about things, as opposed to being in a, in a frenzied uh, watching environment. So there's different ways to, to, you know, engage with content. But I think for this part, from, from my relationship with this show, I'm definitely going to go back and watch episodes again. And um, I definitely think this show will have a place in many indigenous cultural curriculums across the country, and I hope that it does that. I hope that we can share it with everyone that we know, because it's such a powerful piece of work. Yeah. And um, I really hope that the actors involved in the show can be part of spin-offs and so forth, and following the legacy—I was reading this morning that the show was happy to end after three seasons, because they wanted to finish strongly, and I commend them for that. And there's so many shows that choke the shark and just keep going. Yeah. Um, and so Sterling Hodge basically said, I believe this is a coming of age story. When they come of age, we're done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Th- th- that's the definition of a writer or a director having a clear idea of the story they want to tell. I think one of the great examples in comedy recently was the Mike Schur show, The Good Place, oh. where he went in and said, I have 52 episodes that I want to make, and that's all. I'm going to make it doesn't matter if the show is successful it doesn't matter if people hate the show I want to make 52 episodes because that's the story that I want to tell and how I want to tell it and that was a show that I pretty much watched straight through and you could feel that intentionality from a creative perspective
6: no and it makes make a good point about the good place I think if you watch my sufficient talk shows will say they have version of the good place too with the spirit guides um I think you know once again, it's important to go into making a series with a focus that's saying, "I'm going to do this x number of episodes, I have x number of stories, and I'm done, and try not to get you know seduced into the idea of capitalism and making more money because you want to know of ideas um I think it's just I think that's all part of being a master storyteller and that master storytelling is what we get from the indigenous people
0: yeah i i I do like the compromise though of maybe going one season at a time or half a season at a time that's what i did with better call saul the uh, breaking bad prequel where it was getting dropped on netflix in basically eight episode chunks so i was watching eight episodes at a time so half a season at a time and it just meant that i wasn't Overwatching. I was able to remember most of what I consumed, but I could still sort of blow through some cliffhangers and get to the answers that I
6: wanted. No, it's true. The cliff, cliffhangers are the worst thing because if you're binging, you can just say, oh, this really doesn't matter. I'll just go to the next episode. Um, and then you don't really think about much of the as aspect. But, but just like you said, you know, Two Detectives season four is out now and they made it intentionally that. And if it is and if two detective has different actors, and they took a break from two detective three to two detective four. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's it again intentionality in arts. May, maybe that'll be our New Year's resolution for 2024, Michael. More intentionality from writers and directors for the sake of our content consumption.
6: I think that's a great, great one. But like, oh we have solutions to properly problem. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> hey Michael, thank you for this. Always great to catch up with you. Have a lovely day. Talk to you next week. You too. That's entertainment critic Michael McNeely with a review of Reservation Dogs. You can find that series on Disney Plus coming up after the break. Content consumption. That conversation continues with the question, would you pay more for ad-free versions of streaming platforms? Spoiler alert, I already do. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Let's look ahead to this afternoon when Kelly and Ramya hit the airwaves on AMI-TV. Oh, we are not almost there. We are not able to talk to Kelly and Ramya yet, to Ramya Amuthan of Kelly and Ramya. So I'll just remind you once again that if you want to get engaged on the Daily Poll, you can find that on social media at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I'm asking you what's your go-to low-cost, easy-to-make sandwich. I know, a little bit of fun. There, there's been a lot of series today. I want to have a little fun. You have options like peanut butter and cucumber and cheese or even just plain old bread and butter. Really trying to think about simplicity here. It's the new minimalist mindset that Ramya amuthin has instilled upon me. And we do indeed have Ramya on the line now the co-host of Kelly and Ramya. Good morning, Ramya. How are you?
11: Good morning, Dave. Yes, this minimalist mindset has uh, clearly influenced a lot more than just our
0: spaces, <laughs> yeah. huh? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you over this weekend. You can help me purge <laughs> some stuff. We'll uh, we'll do that. We'll do it. We'll do it together. Uh, Ramya, I missed you yesterday yes. uh, because we had technical issues. I left the office in a huff at 930, so I did not see you. But what's coming up on the show today?
11: All right, so it's Thursday, which means we're a day ahead. Well, at least it feels like that for me. Uh, and we have Mary, Mammoliti, we have Mary Mamalidi, uh, Mary Mamalidi joining us on our cooking segment. She's going to talk about uh, a lot of different things, including how we can um, settle down for the new year. So get some new ideas in our cookbooks or in our kitchens to make us feel like we're trying different things out starting in 2024. Also, Lauren. Bain is going to be joining us, and she's going to talk about Governor General Mary Simon, who recently announced the uh, 78 new appointees to the Order of Canada. She wants to tell us how she's feeling about that. Also, we have What in the World, so that's when we flip through quirky stories from around the globe today with Jeff Ryman, and he's talking about a New Jersey couple who... Welcome to new set of twins, not only on different days, but in different years. So, you know, oh. these, these stories at the start of the year are super fun.
0: Jeff Ryman getting back on the air wants to show off that pretty face, eh?
11: Yeah. Uh. Well, you know how it is when everyone's off uh, <laughs> for taking vacations. <laughs>
0: I have a sense. I have a sense of that, Ramya. <laughs> uh, all right, Ramya. Sounds like a great show. 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI. Or don't forget, you can always download the show on your favorite podcasting platform. Let's bring in Alex Smythe and Nazreen Abdelmajid. Alex, you and I both got the same email earlier this week. Uh, Amazon Prime wants to start putting some uh, more ads in our streaming experience.
7: Yeah, Dave, that's exactly the case, and it got me thinking because the email described the move starting to happen in on February fifth, and will featured quote unquote, limited advertisements. So it also went on to mention that if you don't want any ads on your content and your your subscription, you can feel free to pay $3 more a month to maintain your ad free subscription. So this got me thinking about you know, the, the quality, the value of having ad-free versus uh, ad-supported streaming. And I wanted to open up this uh, conversation to the round table. And- Alex, Alex, just just yes. before
0: you do, just before you sure. do, I'm going to play the avatar of the person at home screaming at you and me right now. <laughs> Okay. Amazon already had limited ads on their service. They would do a lot of pre-roll commercials before episodes mm-hmm. or movies. So, there were already limited advertisements, but this is going to be different because that was always cross-promotional stuff. I get the impression yeah. this is going to be actual advertising.
7: Uh, yeah, that's that's my sense as well. So, it'd be in how I view it, it's gonna be something akin to what you will find on something like a YouTube or or like some of these free video players Pluto, where you're gonna get yeah. 15 20 second advertisements on cars or some other consumer item. And so I, I'm curious from the round table, are you willing to pay more for a true ad-free version? Or are you happy to keep the cost as is and and live with the ad? So Nisreen, why don't we start with you?
4: My current status is absolutely living with the ads for the moment because I refuse to pay for another streaming service. I have too many and I just don't want to pay for more. I don't care anymore. Even on YouTube, I don't I don't have um a paid subscription for YouTube. So I do get those 30 second ads every other five minutes, which is absolutely annoying. Um, but as I said, I'm at the status where I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna live with it because this is this is it. I'm I'm done. I'm done paying for another streaming service. I don't know how much I'm paying for this and how much I'm paying for that. So I'm limiting myself at this point.
0: Nazreen, I think the theme of the week is me listening to your answer and being like, I need clarification. But yeah. you're you are still paying for ad-free subscription services you just don't oh, want to yes. you just don't want to pay for new ones.
4: Yes, new ones, absolutely. Um so I I mean on Amazon Prime for example, I do pay uh I do pay for an ad free, but some of them like do have ads, so I yeah, exactly. So it's it, there's a lot of them where I'm just like, you know, kind of limiting myself. I I can't pay for more like it's too much. And I'm talking about not just uh, like streaming service in general, like Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime. Yeah, th- those those types of streaming services. So I'm at this point, for example, YouTube, YouTube, I u- we use a lot. We watch YouTube so much. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the ads get too much. I feel like there's so many 30 second ads now where it used to be five second ads. Now it's 30 seconds. So it's increasing. But it we're like, right should we? Should we not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly.
0: Yeah, Ramya, the spoiler alert on this is I already pay for a couple to keep them ad free, mainly my Spotify and my Netflix. Mm-hmm. I'm considering. Getting down to the ad tier, the ad supported tier on Netflix. But I think fundamentally what Alex is getting at with this question, and Alex, I don't mean to be putting words in your mouth, it's the notion of what used to be an ad free service now throwing mm-hmm. ads in that I'm already paying yeah. for the service. Like, I, th- I think maybe that's the frustration that, that might hit the average consumer this morning, Ramya.
11: Definitely, definitely, because I'm going down the list of things that I already pay for. And when you said ad free tier of Netflix, I was like, I'm unbelievable. So they're basically, you know, adding ads, it seems um, to drive us up the walls and then saying, "Okay, but you don't have to. You could go ad free again. And that is probably what's making me frustrated as well. I pay for Spotify premium and that's pretty much it and obviously the ad free version of netflix but i'm not willing to go to amazon ad free because they just don't have enough audio described content for me it's never been a norm youtube like Nasreen has already said multiple times uh is where i would and have very much considered going ad free because it's one of those um platforms where you're hopping on it all the time people are sending you videos you're going to check out videos same thing with podcasts right and i listen to podcasts on apple pod now and i'm thinking is there an ad free version of these but -hmm, then you got to go and pay for each individual pod and subscribe to the pod now and it's like subscribers get ad free so that is also driving me crazy i'm not sure um like i try to think of it as okay if i consume enough content i'll pay for the service but now it becomes more complex than that
0: yeah, Alex, I think I think in a lot of cases the representation that has at least been brought forward by myself and Nazreen and Ramya is that we don't like change, right? That we can mm-hmm. accept that Tubi mm-hmm. or Pluto or the pre-roll yeah. ad on Amazon Prime, okay, that's cool, I can accept that, but don't start throwing more ads at me and then ask me to pay more.
7: Well, and I think it's also uh, there. There's an aspect of the type of medium and and the type of platform that you're you're getting the ads on. I think Amazon Prime and like Netflix are very different than YouTube. Viewing habits are very different on YouTube. YouTube typically a smaller uh, video. It's usually a bit more unscripted type of. Of content, whether even if it is scripted, it's not a a TV series, yeah, a movie yeah. that you're necessarily watching. So you're trying, you're you're not being interrupted in the same manner that the style of how that content is presented is different, um, and and that's so. I I think there's there's that uh, um, kind of. A difference in in that regard like for me i tried on like the ctv app and the bell app doing the ad free or like the pluto tv once trying to watch a single season of vikings when it was on there i it was excruciating yeah. every few yeah. minutes uh, getting the and, and, and the problem is how they use the ads it's not just oh here's a variety of ads no it's, it's, the, the, same same ads <laughs> it's four the same commercial it's the same commercial back <laughs> yeah. to back back to back that it it (laughs) literally was like so obnoxious and in my face i i stopped watching the series because of it yeah because i could not handle those types of acts
0: and now now i might refuse and now i might refuse to buy your product as well because now the advertiser has annoyed me to the point that i refuse to buy it because i'm so annoyed
11: Yep. Yeah. So real. Yeah.
7: Exactly. <laughs> but also quickly on the price point, it does actually with the the increase, it would bring it a bit more in line with things like Netflix and Disney Plus within that price point, whereas Prime was a bit lower than those other uh, cost factors. So that is something to consider yeah. as well.
0: What I'll reiterate about Amazon Prime as a video streaming service, though, is I never looked at it as I was individually subscribing for Amazon Prime Video. I just like getting stuff delivered to my house for with one day free <laughs> delivery and next day free delivery. So yeah. uh, so for me, the the video Prime service is a bit of a value added so mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to go uh, pay for the uh, the non-ad uh, tier but I'm also not going to start bouncing around and throwing feces at the wall this morning that they want to put a few more <laughs> ads in my shows that I'm just sort of seeing as bonus you know I'll, I'll watch Blue Mountain State with a, with a few and... ads I'll be okay I'll be okay it's <laughs> okay Ramya uh, you, can, you can follow up on this tomorrow <laughs> with a, with an attack but for now we must say okay. goodbye Ramya have a great day
11: you too Miss
0: you have a lovely day as well and uh, Alex you take care too. Uh, Ramya probably made that sound because she has to use this studio later, so she definitely doesn't want me throwing uh, feces around in a fit. Yeah, that's not- all. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's all the time there is for the show today. Don't worry, things are back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.